Hello, and welcome back to the study. The little, what do you call this room? What would you call this, Jeff? Study. A study. Okay, yeah. great. I'm glad. Maybe, maybe an office. I don't know. An office, a gentleman's room, a smoking room. I don't know. We're going to call it the study. I'm joined here with Dr. Candace Coleman. She is an orthodontist from Clarksville, Tennessee. Uh, we went to dental school orthodontics together. I said that earlier. And then Dr. Jeff Kozlowski. Uh, we've never actually been in the same room together. That's not true. But he's uh, from Connecticut, uh, that little bitty state way up there. Beautiful state. Uh, Candace was an associate. She's now a partner. Jeff had an associate who's becoming a partner. So I think they're the perfect duo to discuss something I've never really heard discussed that much at orthodontic meetings. Maybe I've heard it before, but it's going to be be the best associate, become the best partner. And so we're going to talk about the ins and outs of being an associate and being a partner or a senior doc. So I'm excited about this one. Candice, if you don't mind, uh, would you walk me through uh, why you decided and how you decided to be an associate? So it started in residency and I just tried to figure out what I saw for the next five to 10 years. So I knew I didn't want to start a practice. I knew I didn't want to buy a practice and have the doctor leave immediately. Mm -hmm. um, my husband was starting his own practice. One was enough for our family. So I knew that I wanted to join something. Um, and I also knew that I wanted to join a practice that wasn't huge, that had a lot of locations that would require me to travel. So those were kind of the bullet points that I, I knew. And then I spent about a year traveling all over yeah. and visiting offices and meeting doctors. And that's when um, I realized that uh, joining a practice that had one or two other doctors um, was kind of the, the priority for me with the track to partnership eventually. Yeah, sure. Like you're from what, Washington uh -huh. State? Yeah, so Washington State all the way, I think you had a connection through a doctor that you had mentored, uh, had mentored you with UT, right? Yep. Okay, so that got you to Tennessee, and then I guess Burton like kind of kept you here yeah, or something. Yeah, more okay. or less, and okay. the great state of Tennessee. Oh, Tennessee's great. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think legit, like, right? It's not so bad. Yeah, it's awesome. It's amazing. It's no Connecticut, <laughs> but it's okay. Um, so I, I think that's great. A lot of people, uh, I think, jump into an associateship. So you spent maybe the last year of residency kind of seeking all Figuring this out. out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I wasn't really tied to a specific location, which, you know, some people are tied yeah. based on family and that sort of thing. So we literally looked all over the country and really explored every option and then landed in Clarksville, Tennessee. It seems like it's going well for yeah, you. So, so um, let's talk mindset, Jeff, if, if you will. Yeah. Um, how important is that when you're, I think it's important, like I'll answer my own question. Mindset's extremely important, right? All right, the but, interview's done. Yeah, it's over. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> next question. Now, uh, in what ways maybe is, is it important to the associate and to the, uh, the senior doctor? Or the well, I think, Kyle, it's equally important to both. So for me, as someone who's been practicing 22 years now and still really feeling like a learner, like I learn every day. That's why I love meetings like this. We learn something new at every meeting. Um, it's problematic for me when someone comes out of residency and feels like they're at the peak of Mount Orthodontics. You know, you know, you just you you all you have is a ticket to ride the train to the peak of Mount Orthodontics. <laughs> you know, and so there's so much to learn aside from clinical orthodontics, right? Which you learned how you did it in your residency, which is practical in basis, but maybe not practical to the all the variety of cases. And you've treated, what, 50, 60, 70 cases? Um, so, so this notion that, that all you need to know to be an orthodontist you learned upon graduation, um, you've learned a portion of what it means to be a clinical orthodontist, which what I love, the, the content of this evening of the meeting is what it means to be a great orthodontist. And the first question that Feldman asked was, are we talking clinical? And your response was perfect, which was, we're talking everything. So it's balanced, it's clinical, it's managing a practice, it's being a good person, it's working with your team, you know, being caring and compassionate for them about building your community, about taking care of your patients, about having a good heart. Oh, by the way, and it's about, you know, a mesial buckle cusp of something else on occasion. And so, so that ticket to, you know, to the game gives the resident an opportunity to join a practice and have some kind of mentorship now. The challenge there, therein lies when a senior orthodontist also has the mindset of I know everything and you know you you don't know anything, mm -hmm. and so we were talking about it and I think um, for for Mike in our office um, it's really important for me as a senior doc to listen and to allow Mike to make decisions or at least propose a decision to me an idea of something he would want. You know, and if it's something that's really going to be catastrophic because I, I had already made that mistake, maybe we'll have some coaching on that. But that aside, um, I think there's some value in, in letting, allowing 
associates as they're developing to make some decisions, have some failures, have some wins, mm. but do it together. Yeah. So sure. I think that balance is important. Yeah, it was interesting. We were talking because we have different perspectives, right? Because sure. he's been the senior doctor and I'm the associate. And, you know, the, the ticket to orthodontics or whatever you said, when you walk out of residency, you feel like I'm here, I'm ready mm -hmm. to work, I've got it. But it's really important to realize that as an associate, you're walking into systems that are already in place, staff mm -hmm. that is already trained. And those are luxuries that you don't have, as you know, when you're starting up your own practice yeah. and learning how to call insurance, you know. And so you do get to focus more on your clinical stuff because all the other stuff is running. But the senior doctor, whoever owns that practice, went through all of that to yeah. get to a point where the practice needed an associate. So I think having that underlying respect of what it took to get the practice to where it is and the fact that you're walking into a well-oiled machine, hopefully at that point, is important. And then, you know, his perspective of the senior doctor, I was fortunate to join a practice where I was able to present ideas that were new and changes to systems and had a senior doctor that listened to those. And I learned along the way what worked and what didn't. And so having that freedom to kind of uh, improve systems that are already there, I think is important from, from both perspectives. Sure. Yeah. Well, you, you actually happen to have a really cool partner with Sean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's a cool guy, laid back. I think, you know, a lot of these issues are you probably get difficult personalities that end up together. Mm -hmm. and let's be honest, a lot of orthodontists have difficult personalities. You know, we have God complexes and other things. And so um, if you've never been told you're wrong your whole life, it can be difficult, you know? Sure. So um, fortunately I, or unfortunately, I've been on my own always. Mm -hmm. And so Anna and I, in some sense, have been sort of partners, you know, uh, like the two orthodontists in a way. But um, that's difficult too. Mm -hmm. But we're not talking about that right now. So um, I guess there's a lot of people I know. We had a lot of residents who signed up. There's a lot of people who are in corporate positions that are trying to learn, you know, maybe they're planning to associate or associate, you know, a ship or whatever. Um, I guess give some pro tips, give um, some things that you thought in going through this process as an associate that you want to share with people, but also maybe some missteps along the way. So a few small things just in the beginning, um, you know, you get your contract once you've made the decision to join the practice. I think you can get a lawyer and spend a lot of time and energy on commas mm -hmm. and words. Ultimately, most contracts are going to be fine, so don't spend a lot of time and energy trying to renegotiate things or let things go sour over the wording of something in your mm. contract. Um, I could have just shown mine to a few instructors at school and probably been okay. Yeah. Um, when you get into the practice, I think treating the first few months as a mini residency and just soaking up as much mm. in the clinic, particularly if you're, like we were talking, if you are treating the same patients, if you're sharing patients and working with the senior doctor, um, getting your language down so you're consistent with how you talk to staff, talk to patients um, is really important. Um, as far as your expectations, you know, you're not going to learn it all at one time. So focusing on um, getting your clinical, you know, you go from seeing six patients a day to 100 patients a day, and that's like drinking water from a fire hydrant. You know, it's a lot to go through. So <laughs> picking something, you know, the clinic to really uh, fine tune and then start learning the other systems of the office so you can understand kind of the big picture of everything. Um, but trying to do it all at once can, can be fairly overwhelming. Yeah. Um, I think another thing is uh, know that, especially if you're joining an established practice, um, there may be patients that don't want to see the new doctor, and that's mm -hmm. okay. And as you're there longer, that tends to go away. Um, for me, it hurt my feelings a little bit, you know, <laughs> and maybe being a female, I'm more sensitive to that. But that's, I think that's a fairly common thing, especially if you've sure. had a doctor that's been around for a while. But as you establish yourself in that practice, that usually irons There'll come a day out. where the senior doc comes, happened to me the other day, comes over and uh -huh. she's like, who are <laughs> you? Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I'm Dr. Jeff. They're like, Dr. Jeff, who? I'm like, Kozlowski's like, oh, you're the man. Right. I'm like, oh, yeah, so it's all good, it's all good. Right. I, think, I think to piggyback along with that, um, you know, as the associate comes in, and, and there's a lot of different ways associateships can happen. It can be corporate. Now, we happen to have actually a very similar one where you associated in the practice that you're now practicing and partner in and have a good relationship and, and Mike with my practice as well. So very similar, like we're hitting mm -hmm. it off as associate and partner. But I think consistency is something super important. You, you hit on the co-treatment of patients. You know, some associates come out and they join a practice that has a need to fill, say, in another location. So the doctors never work together. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really... Um, I guess maybe I'm less equipped to comment on that scenario, but that's kind of then the associates navigating their way with the existing team who's not really their team and the patients who's not really their patients. Mm -hmm. So there can be some challenges there. 
you know, Mike and I in the practice, we spend a couple of days a week together seeing patients. So the consistency is really important. From, from every new patient that comes in when we're there together, whoever's going to see the patient, usually it's me, but at least talking about the treatment plan. How would you treat this? How long would you estimate? Why would you estimate that? Why would you, you, know, why would you choose this appliance over that appliance? Even down to the point where when we're doing things clinically, our team is instructed to let us know if there's anything that we do differently. I mean, even down to how we want to bracket prep pass to us, just so we know. It doesn't mean they have to be done absolutely consistently, but we have found things that we, we drifted slightly apart in consistency without knowing it when we're not always together. Mm-hmm. And the team is able to let us know, hey, you're asking for this all the time, you're asking for that all the time, get together and figure it out and let's come up with a solution. And so instead of it being Jeff's way or Mike's way, it can be, we do this in this scenario, and we do that in that scenario. Mm. Um, and that helps to have consistency, and it really keeps the team on board with, with multiple doctors work t- working together, co-treating patients. Sure. A little I, advice for when you do no, have somebody in the this office. Is, well, if the day ever comes. Um, I think any relationship that's true of, and, and relationships uh, oftentimes drift apart when there's not time together. And so I can only imagine trying to be an associate with a partner that you never see. It would be very, very difficult. So uh, Jeff, I guess from the perspective of the senior doctor, um, what are some things that you think that associates commonly miss? And then I'm going to ask you the the opposite. But first, what do associates commonly miss? Well, I I think we hit on it a little bit. I think associates commonly miss the fact that doing the orthodontics isn't even half of the practice. Yeah. You know, you're taking care of patients. So it's easier to say be in a scenario, and Mike's great with this, like he's doing more patient hours than I am now. Mm. But he, he realizes the hours that go into uh, interviewing people and hiring people and, and you, you name all the other stuff. Okay, we, don't, we, can, we can spend a whole other day on that. But yeah. like the treatment of teeth might not even be half of the entire practice. Right. It's the team training and everything else. So... So when, when the vision is that straightening teeth makes me um, know how to run a business, um, that, that's a disconnect. And so that would be my advice. And then the other side, if, if, if you're going to ask me the converse of that, which is what should the uh, senior doc know about the associate, you know, and that is um, maybe think back and remember, you know, you were full of vim and vinegar. You wanted to work five days a week and, you know, every tooth had to be perfect and and you just you haven't had the experience to have had the bumps and bruises that we've all had. I mean, it's why people who have been married longer are happier because they've been through the challenges. You know, as you mm-hmm. raise kids, it's like any any journey in life, right? As you go through that journey, you you have some failings, you some hurt a lot, and some you succeed with, and then you get stronger and wiser. But um, you don't don't be the senior doc that does the um, walk bare feet uphill both ways in the snow to school kind of thing, um, because time, whether it's times have changed or whatever, just be sensitive to the fact that you know they're intelligent, uh, they're orthodontists for God's sakes, right? They're intelligent people who have dreams and desires, and how do you guys work together? It, how do you as a senior doc support that young orthodontist in the development of their hopes and dreams? Hopefully together. Yeah, that would be my advice for sure. Great. All right, let's talk clinical a little bit. Um, again, I only I've only ever treated every case myself, so I don't really understand how this works. I've taken on transfers, and sometimes I'm like, "What in the world is going on?" Right? Um, and I'm sure I've sent transfers, and they're like, "What in the world is going on?" You know. But how do you do this together? I think this is like maybe the thing that would stress me out the most is how do you do that day to day when you share patients? How does that work? Clinically? Well, I think. Doing it where you spend time actually working together, yeah. um, physically in the same office yep. for however long that may be. For us, it was a while. Yeah. Um, to where we were using the same wire sequences, we were treatment planning all of our cases together on the big screen, talking out treatment plans. And when we didn't agree, we both understood why. Um, that time together is invaluable because if you're seeing a patient. Um, without the other doctor there and you don't have his brain to pick on why he's doing whatever, mm-hmm. I think it's a longer learning curve. So mm-hmm. um, the time spent and it also, you know, getting your staff all on the same page, like he was saying, um, you know, if you have that consistency, then over time your cases, you may not recognize the patient, but the case is going to look very familiar to you. You know, we use the bullet salute for a palatal and back to canine. You know, that's a standard thing that mm-hmm. we do every time. So things like that where the time spent on the front end 
will make it much more successful in the long run, you know, when you're seeing patients that maybe aren't as familiar to you because the other doctor has seen them more. Yeah. So you're a big systems guy. That's what, one of the things people know you for. Like, I mean, is it, have you written out all the systems no. and it's like, hey, no, that's one of, that's one, honestly, one of my failings is that I'm a, I'm like a <laughs> fireside chat um, kind of systems guy. Yeah. Like, like it becomes oral history for how we do things rather than a written, <laughs> you know, a written document about how right. it goes. Um, one of the things, so, so back, I mean, I was an associate once I worked in a group practice for yeah. nine years and retired from that group practice before opening my own. Hmm where we co-treated patients and, and there were a number of challenges with it. And we had, we had four really good orthodontists hmm. who did collectively not as good work as one average orthodontist because of the inconsistencies. And so, hmm. so one great orthodontist who's honest, you know, you go, the cases go like this, right? Because yeah. you have different decision-making. So having had that as an experience, one thing that we do significantly differently is we photograph every patient at every visit. Hmm. And so you have, there's no written note, there's no judgment of whether it was three millimeters of overjet or four millimeters of overjet and whether the elastics are actually working or not actually working. You got photographic evidence from the last visit of where it was. So Mike can step in on a patient that I've seen or me for a patient that he's seen and be confident that elastics are or are not getting us where we need to go. Yeah. So that's another thing that we have, we have going for us. But I, I would agree the consistency you, you actually need to spend more time together than you think talking about your differences. Mm -hmm. So you know where your partner would make a decision. Even if you might make another one, it's a patient that they've seen for eight straight appointments and now you're stepping in. You're that transfer orthodontist that's only seeing them for one visit before they go back to Kentucky or wherever else. Mm -hmm. And so you're gonna call that orthodontist and go, hey Joe, what would you do here? And they're going to tell you, and you go, okay, I'll do it. That's kind of what you are in that scenario where you're not, like, say, every other visit. So we actually don't even have to worry about that because we are so very consistent in how we do treatment. I think that's the key. Yeah. Um, the key is, is really even consistent in bracket placement, heights, um, you know, even, even minor nuances. Um, but I'll tell you another tip that we did uh, and with, on the clinical without taking too long. We actually went through periods of time where we focused on a couple of specific things. So uh, initial bondings. So my, whether I did the bonding or Mike did the bonding, the other person would go over to say hi to the patient and look at the brackets. And then we would make notes. He'd make notes on mine. I think you're going to have to repo the lower right four. And we'd note it. And then, you know, eight months later at the pan and repo, I go, aha, didn't have to reposition that. Um, and then we went on to pan and repos and we would do like it's almost like a double blind, like each of us would go look at the ICAT mm. and write down what we would repo. And we found that he would repo probably double the amount of brackets I would. Why is that? Well, I'm more comfortable bending wires as needed because I've got 20 years of experience. Right. So then we decided the next step was for a month, we were gonna talk about my experience of bending wires. So we spent a lot of time mutually with patients uh, looking at what each of us did, um, not, not to prove better or worse, but to maintain consistency. And that's been a huge, so now we really, we really think alike after four years, so it's been a huge success. But it's that a lot awesome. of work. Yeah, well it sounds like you have the right mindset and you've, you've really fostered as does, that relationship. As does Mike. And as does Mike, yeah. yeah. So now that you are a partner, welcome, I guess, <laughs> you know. Uh, but uh, how have things changed for you now that you're no longer the associate? Well, I think he kind of hit on earlier when you talk about it's more than just moving teeth. So mm -hmm. um, I think when you're an associate, you show up, you would invest 100%, you are working hard and honing your clinical skills, and there's so much more to the office that uh, mm -hmm. make it run. And so once you sign that check and, and our own, have ownership of this practice, um, I really took a deep dive into the systems and mm -hmm. the job descriptions and the HR um, and it's a lot, and it mm. took me a while. I'm still even learning some of the systems that have been in place for a long time and ways to improve them. Um, but it's certainly a, a totally a different mindset than when you are an associate, because when when it's your baby, when it's something that you have ownership in and your name is on the door, mm -hmm. um, it's a it's a much heavier weight on your shoulder. So you you pay close attention to all of the details. Yeah, sure. Well, I, if if it comes to HR, give that to someone else. That should be <laughs> right. that should be Sean's duty. So, um, well, guys, that's basically it. Do you have any parting words for anyone out there? 
considering associateship, we've done a pretty good job summarizing. Yeah, I, I think we've killed it. I think so. Way to I go. Think you did kill it. Nice high five. Well, that's actually we'll be like right on time. So awesome. finally, let's be on time. There you go. We'll be on time. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's efficiency for you. It is efficiency, and we'll get to more f bombs and efficiency tomorrow. Uh, Candace Cause, thank you. It was really great stuff. Our next segment is for the ortho nerds out there. If you've been thinking, are we ever going to talk clinical orthodontics? Well, we are about to. We're going to do hybrid orthodontics and digital workflows with Dr. Shane Langley, Lee Salvitro, and Brian Lockhart. But first, we have a commercial break from 3M on digital bonding, and then also one from a digital marketing agency that you may have heard of, uh, Neon Canvas. And so we'll see you back in just a little bit. Thank you. Great job. Since I started with Neon Canvas, I have more than doubled my production and collections. Up until then, um, I was not doing any advertising. I was doing traditional word of mouth, you know, print magazines and taking dentists to lunch. So I would have expect, you know, as soon as you tap into the social media market and the Google AdWord market, I would expect some type of an increase. Um, but I didn't expect to double. And not only that, it's freed up my time from not taking people to lunch. It's, it narrows down. I mean, magazine advertisements are incredibly expensive. Um, and it's very hard to tell if they even work. Now, we actually still give money uh, to all the football teams and the cheerleaders and the band and all the local schools and things like that. Um, but we just do it because there are patients and they're asking it for us. We don't do it with any type of, of return of investment. You know, we don't look at them now and be like, well, we should do this one and we're not gonna do these over here. And we used to tell the patients, well, we have a budget for this and you know, we've already reached that budget. At this point, our cash flow is such, uh, we just start handing out cash to these things. Um, and because it, it's, it's worth, used to, you had to make a conscious decision on a $150 ad when you had 10 of them laying on the table, and now you just write in the checks to get them off the table. So it's totally changed our world upside down. Uh, we ended up just doing a huge addition. We now run 10 chairs. I just doubled my clinic size. Um, and I'll have to say, uh, during this whole COVID thing, one of the one of the first questions I called up and said to Joseph was, hey, what do we do? Because the traditional orthodontic mindset is let's pull back. And they said, you know, hey, let's quit. Let's quit our advertising dollars and everything else. Now, Joseph has a very good idea of where I want to go. And he was like, well, I think we should do more. And I was like, that's exactly what I think. And so we did more. And when we came back, we have set records. We, we went back to work uh, June 1st, and so we've been back to work for June, July, and August. We've set records all three of those months. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the trophy room. I think I should have a different name for it. Uh, the study, I guess. Uh, man, if you're hoping for some technical clinically geared, who wrote this crap? I wrote this crap. Uh, technical clinically geared orthodontic discussions tonight. If that <laughs> applies to you, well then look no further as I'm now joined by Dr. Shane Langley, 
Dr. Lisa Alvitro and Dr. Brian Lockhart. You know, we, we sort of randomly picked these spots and they were perfect. How do we manage to do that? So we're going to discuss hybrid orthodontics, a term you may not be familiar with, although you're smart people out there, I'm sure you are, and then also digital workflows, which is a huge conversation piece uh, in the developing uh, landscape of orthodontics. Okay, uh, so if anyone's unfamiliar with what we mean by hybrid orthodontics, uh, some people call it combination treatment or therapy. Shane, can you break down for us what hybrid orthodontics is? Sure, it's, it's, a, it's an overarching term, but for me it means anytime you use a combination of aligners along with braces, along with any other form of treatment, and uh, oftentimes in our office we'll use it in, in tandem with braces first. Like I'll, I'll start with someone who might be an adolescent and they have high laterals that need to be extruded. So yeah. I'll just put braces on for like three months. I'm like, if you can just give me braces for three months, then I'll do the rest with aligners and uh, stuff like that. Or it may be some different variation depending on the, the clinical preferences. But anytime you use brackets and aligners together, either before, after, or in the midst of, would be considered, in my opinion, hybrid orthodontics. I think I have a photo. I don't know if they're showing it or not, but Brian sent a little photo of kind of like I think your standard hybrid, you know, treatment where it's I think an aligner at the top and then braces at the bottom. Not a great brusher, this one, you know. <laughs> Little calculus around the braces. That's okay. I don't know if anyone's seeing it or not. Hopefully you are. Um, but you know, maybe that's for cosmetic purposes, or maybe you had some need for braces on the bottom. I guess real quickly, because I know that both of you guys do this sort of thing, and I don't think this is like cutting edge anymore. I, I know a lot of people that finish in aligners because they like, you know, getting little rotations out on the lower with aligners. Let's say um, I've had patients that have had an impacted tooth. I'm like, I don't really want to do it up with an aligner. Like, I just don't. So, like, give me six months and clear on the lower. I'll do, like, you know, Clarity Advanced, and then we'll go into our aligners, you know? So we've done all that kind of stuff. What are some other examples of when you guys do hybrid? I think I use hybrid particularly when we want speed. You know, and I, I can show mm. someone a setup and say, okay, the top is going to be done in maybe 10, 12 aligners. The bottom, you're looking 30, 40. How many aligners do you have in you? And you're like, I can't How do that. How many aligners do you have in you? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Like you know, it. and they're like, okay, no, uh -uh. <laughs> I'm like, well, if we put brackets on the bottom, at least even start that way, we can get it to catch up. Okay. So a lot of times for me, it's speed okay. and it's the number of aligners if I can reduce it. Because I think a lot of people have a limited number that they can cooperate with. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm not hosting this. No, you're good. But <laughs> I noticed aligner burnout. <laughs> oh, yeah. Way more than I noticed mm -hmm. braces burnout. Mm -hmm. Like, they're just, they're done. You know, they're mm -hmm. done with it. So speed's critical. Mm -hmm. There's probably something nice about having like the two things. It's almost like, mm -hmm. you know, a two-act play or something like we're going to start here and we'll finish here. I yep. mean, actually, it's probably pretty brilliant, actually. It sort of reminds me of like the like the sagittal first concept where you sort of let's get the class mm -hmm. two corrected and then we'll go into the braces. I think like that's a form of hybrid, you know, treatment, mm -hmm. too. And you even mentioned TADS. Sure. Are there any other ways that hybrid kind of works in your practice? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty similar to what they said. I The way I look at it, um, I tend to not want to combine two different things because okay. they there um, is some coordination that has to go mm -hmm. on there. Um, and so, but at the same time, you have to look out for the patient and what's best for them. And so usually what I'll do is, um, and then this patient that was on the example that was shown, she wanted aligners, but she had a molar that we needed to upright and slightly mm -hmm. bring forward. Mm -hmm. And in my hands, that's not going to be a successful aligner case. So I kind of meet the patients in the middle and say, okay, I'll tell you what, you really want aligners. We can handle everything in the upper, but I need to put braces on the lower arch. So it's more of a, a compromise, so to speak. But I like to, to keep it whatever we're going is what we're going to go with because my mindset and how I set it up. Because I've done a couple of these and it's like, okay, well, we need a refinement for the upper, but then we're doing an adjustment on the bottom and it was coded as an adjustment. So we didn't have the aligners ready, you know, that kind of coordination. Mm -hmm. And it can be worked out, um, but I just like to... Keep it simple, but whatever modality is going to treat the situation the best is what I'll do. And so if that means kind of doing the combo hybrid mm -hmm. thing, um, I'll do it. But I'm not looking to do that um, on the onset, though. Yeah. You alluded to my use mm -hmm. in TADS earlier. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's important not to be a one-trick pony as an orthodontist, to, to, to use that phrase. Um, but to be able to think outside of the box in the sense of, yeah, if I want to use a TAD for posterior arch intrusion, like if I have excessive gingival display in the posterior and I want to really intrude that posterior more than aligners will give me, then I'll, I'll toss buckle segment braces on up to the first bicuspid and TADs between the six and seven or, or five and six and intrude while I'm doing aligners. So being done in tandem is really nice, but um, with the use of clarity advanced brackets and then clarity aligners together, you get the, the beautiful aesthetics at the same time as you don't compromise your treatment and, and you just gotta think outside of the box. 
Yeah, I like that. I don't like to think outside of that. I like to, <laughs> I like to build my own box and think inside of it. Um, I also have like, you know, I, I start to get like the shivers of concern over uh, the overhead that goes up when I'm like, yeah, I'll do some braces and I'll do some aligners, you know, so there's some of those kind of considerations. I, I think that, you know, as, as, you know, you have like a, you know, companies like a 3M that now has like digital bonding, they also have aligner systems. Mm -hmm. That ecosystem makes sense to do it. I know some people are doing in-house and there's ways to make this kind of stuff work. I also worry about just the workflow of it, which we'll kind of get to. Uh, how do you manage all that and keep mm -hmm. all that straight? Um, I love just like the simplicity of braces and knowing that I can make that system work. And thankfully in Memphis, People love braces, so like <laughs> yes. we're doing bra like I mean everybody wants braces. Like I have people all the time. Like I'm not going to do aligners. Like okay, we'll do braces. You know I have no no qualms with braces. <laughs> no. um, but there are some cases it turns out where I'm like, man, I'd really like to do aligners for your open bite. They're like, no, I want braces. Mm -hmm. Like okay, you're going to wear into your uh, open bite elastics? Nope. <laughs> all right, great. So you this is going to put a tad in you and you close that. Oh, see, I hate tads too. <laughs> see, that's outside of the box, Shane. You know, that's true. And uh, I think too, Kai, when you yeah. mentioned about you know your overhead and. and yeah. The thing is, too, if you're doing something and say you're going to do clarity aligners on the top and you can do an indirect bond setup on the bottom, yeah. your biggest expense is time. Right. So if you can get done quicker, nah, sure. you can save it. Yeah. No, I like that. Yeah. It's also probably better for the patient, but, you know. Um, it's I, hard to change, though. Yeah. I've got to pay for this house. You're right. Overheads are yeah. <laughs> real Yeah, look at overheads. <laughs> Yeah, I need to look at overhead for a few years. Trust me. I'm just kidding. I mean, the um, wood on these walls just speak to me right now. It's a, it's a rich mahogany. It is. Um, so, uh, Lisa and Shane, you both speak uh, for 3M. Mm -hmm. yes. I, I technically speak for 3M, too. Mm -hmm. Although I don't get to talk about, like, clinical stuff. Maybe one day. I uh, use a lot of their products. Um, could you tell me a little bit about the 3M Oral Care Portal? I think that with time, that's kind of the biggest conversation is the workflow of these digital systems. Because mm -hmm. it's one thing to say, yeah, I can use these things together, but you gotta have something that like makes it one like ecosystem or environment. Mm -hmm. Because I tried to do 3D printing like really early on, and we're not gonna talk about 3D printing. I'm sorry, Lisa, she oh. loves the, I know, maybe a little bit. <laughs> But like I had like three programs that I was trying to, we'll t let's talk about it here, we'll add a question, who cares? Um, but I had like three different systems to like produce this little, it was, it was a nightmare, you know, and I should have, I probably got in a little too, uh, too early because I'm an inside the box thinker, not an outside mm -hmm. the box thinker. But uh, the 3M Oral Care Portal, uh, now they've got the ability to do digital bonding, do clear aligners, are you using that for hybrid therapy and how is that working? Does it make it easier? It, it does, you know, and I think one thing that's nice about the portal and I think people miss out on is the the ability to view it chair side because since it's cloud-based, each of my staff members have their own way to get into the portal. So, you know, even obviously designing treatment, there's steps that people can do and upload a records for me. Then I get to a point where I'm looking at, you know, approving the setup. But even like throughout treatment, my, my staff will have it pulled up. They can look and see, are, do you look like what you're supposed to? Or do we maybe need to do a scan so that we can do a progress overlay? And see where things are at. So you know, I think the the portal is easy to use, but the accessibility and I think where people miss out is maybe they don't train their staff enough to be to be part of that process. Mm -hmm. And then even when you're doing that, the patients can see too. So they're excited about their progress. So yeah. you know I think there's some real advantages to that portal. Progress overlay. Mm -hmm. um, couple companies offer that uh -huh. kind of a thing. I don't ever use it. Mm -hmm. uh, are you using you know progress scans, overlay scans? If you're not, it's okay. Neither am I. Yeah, I don't. Do you? I don't, and I'll, I'll be honest. I, it, a lot of well, it's color. I don't, want, I don't want to hear about it. I just can't. I don't see colors. Oh, so. you're colorblind. Yeah, even if it's white and blue. <laughs> yeah, like, he, did, he didn't know oh, what color the other room was. Yeah. He thought it was red. Well, he said the green like, room. I'm yeah, like, you should have been green. It, was, it wasn't green. Thought it was purple. I'm kidding. No. You're living in a color-driven world. I'm so I sorry that. That's okay. I'll be all right. I keep forgetting that. Big time. And you're so put together. Yeah, occlusal maps on an aligner case. I don't know what is that. What's hidden heavy? What's not? You're discriminating against. You've got to work on that. That what? <laughs> you gotta to come up with some software for that. I never thought about yeah. that. It should be more like Braille. It should be shades My of gray. mind is, is blown right now. Uh, well, tell me how it works for you. Like, how well, are yeah, you we it? we use it in the oral care portal where they overlay it, and then we'll do it some for our in in house too because we're still trying to learn. Sure. You know, I wish I knew more about aligners and the mechanics of it, but I mean, I was trained a long time ago. Yeah. Um. So. You know, I think it's admirable that you're taking the time to do those scans, to look at that stuff. I'll be, I'm, I don't do the scan. My staff well, does the scan. <laughs> I just say, <laughs> can you scan? scan? Yeah, yeah. I'm ordering the scan. That's, that's time, right. you know? I just think that's great. It's, like, it's no different than like a progress pan. We all do progress pans. You're right. It's just So you can, you can even put it into your chart. It's pops up, progress scan. That's actually 
Totally true. A pan takes a while. It takes at least, what, conservatively, to get them out of the chair, mm -hmm. get the pan set up. They had to wait on the pan five, mm -hmm. six, seven minutes. More than a scan does, yeah. Yeah, yeah more than a scan. Interesting. It's just retraining your brain. Well, and it takes a little while. <laughs> it's a stubborn little thing. It things inside the box. Little muscle. <laughs> inside the box. Um, Okay, this is going well. I like this. I yes, it's good. It. We're gonna talk about three D. If we have time, we're talking about three D printing. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. All right, Brian, I want to come to you. You yeah. and, I, and I mean this sincerely. I don't know that I really fully recognize this. You're a pro when it comes to digital systems. Uh, you have your own in-house in aligner brand. Let me gush just a second, if you, if you allow me. It's Please called, don't stop. It's <laughs> uh, dual line. Uh, you have a patent on Lock-On, which is a device used to facilitate orthognathic surgery on aligner patients. Bravo. Um, I didn't want to do that impacted tooth, and you're like doing surgeries with aligners. So good for you. Awesome. And you have a patent pending on. Is it SAS Track? Cast Track. Cast Track. My yes. bad. See, I should have gone with the hard. All right, cast track, and that's a software used to track and organize in-house aligner patients as well as other digital mod modalities. Cool. That's amazing. That's All right. Sweet. So tell me, you know, we talk about digital workflows, and that brings in a whole other element of mm -hmm. keeping things right and organized because you're only as good as the level to which it's organized, right? right? Um, how do you keep all this organized? Yeah. So, so there's a couple of things. Um, the, the biggest thing, like you said, once you kind of transform into this digital system, um, and you really kind of dive deep, there's a lot of moving parts to keep up with. And one of the biggest fears for me was losing control and having situations where patients are showing up, things are not ready, mm -hmm. and it's not where it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that I did was say, I need to figure out a way to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, and so the, the biggest things that I learned is one, you have to write out all of the protocols. So step by step, what's supposed to be done, how it's supposed to be done, so everyone knows what's expected from them. The other thing is assign different um, tasks to different team members instead of having one member who's responsible for everything because if they're out, if they get sick, if they leave, then you have this whole mess that you're just trying to <laughs> gather and try to figure out. So assign different tasks to different team members. The other thing about doing that is that person is now held accountable for what happens. And so they can have other team members help them out, but at the end of the day, if something goes wrong with that particular section, I'm coming to them for the answers. And the third part of that is reports. Um, you know, we did scans today. Okay, did you submit them? And these are things that it seems like a lot, but it's not, especially when it's done daily. Um, if you let things kind of stack up, it's almost like checks back when I used to do those. Um, you know, if you let them <laughs> stack up, you know, and you go through it, your mind just starts spinning. You just accept everything. But if you have a, mm -hmm. a system where you're kind of knocking them out as they come and, and does it in, in little pieces, it makes it so much more manageable. So having clear objectives, assigning people specific tasks and having daily reports to keep up with everything. Um, and then not to get too salesy or whatnot, because that's not what this is about. But that's how Cash Track came about. And it's in beta. I have a few docs kind of testing it now. Um, but especially for, for in-house aligners, when you really get into it, you and you're doing a lot of cases, you have to have some way to manage it all. And so that's what it was for. But it can also track uh, appliances that you are sending out, coming back. Um, if you do any other kind of digital technology, it's a way because it's so customizable to set everything up that it'll keep and track everything for you so that you can stay on top of everything. And this whole digital world doesn't turn to something that's too much to handle. What does that stand for? Cast track. So it's capital C, capital A, capital S track. So it's clear aligner system track. But I don't want to put track, tracking. But it'll do any but it'll do work. Right. So it's like one of those things where you have a main reason or main thing it's for, and then it's like that white label use that you can use it for as well. But the main thing is to track um, in-house aligners. Was your dad a Baptist minister? Because <laughs> you got three points to everything. There's a lot you know, I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> There's and I was a really good three-point shooter, too. So, <laughs> there you go. Hey, oh. Three points. Boom. What can I get you? Uh, we actually, well, I saw your trading card, or maybe it was just a photo. Uh, we got to get you to play some basketball. We got to go out there. Yeah, listen, let's um, do it. This was like our third Baptist <laughs> reference. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It are wasn't you, me the whole Baptist, time. Right? It was only me this time. Yes. Okay. Yeah, all right. Well, well good. Um, so, sorry to any Baptists out there. You seem like great people. Um, okay. So, 
You know what? We've got some time. Let's get squirrely with it. Let's talk uh, 3D printing. What are you using 3D printing for? Everything. Yeah, <laughs> everything. No, so currently we use 3D printing in our office for all of our Essex retainers and all of our in-house aligners as well as our, um, our splints. But we don't use a 3D printed splint. We still make it analog off of... We, we make an impression of the 3D printed model. It's backwards, but what do you have against Alginet? Uh, eh, it's just extra <laughs> steps. Extra <laughs> steps. Yeah. What's bad about it? No, no I mean, I'm just talking to three like <laughs> super digital people. What did it ever hurt someone? No. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Bad impressions and they're good impressions. Well, that's true. I agree. And so, and, and to kind of piggyback on that, I'm just um, giving y'all softballs. No, I love it. Yeah, no, no. But, but to piggyback off of that, I mean, that is one of the biggest reasons that I decided to move into that arena is consistency. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have true. some assistants okay. that are really good with, with impressions and some that are terrible. Even you if also they've been have twenty some, years. Yeah, and then you have you have some that okay, the impression was good, but then the port was horrible. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then you don't know everywhere. that until you separate, and then you're trying to patch this up. Well, with scanning, you it's really kind of hard to mess it up. As long as you see the picture, uh, the teeth on the screen, you're good to go. And then the retainer, the printer, I mean, the uh, model, the printer does it all. Um, and then you can hand it to the patient. So if they need to redo, there's no getting them back, taking a whole nother impression, pouring it up, getting them back. And that's taking a, a team member out of the office or the clinic to do it where they just bring the model in. Five minutes later, they have the retainer because all we have to do is suck it down. And then financially, which is not a reason to do everything that you do, but at that point, there's really no time associated with it. All you have is that $2 plastic or whatever you use to suck it down and you give it back. And so there's profit there as well, even though it's not the biggest driver, but it's the consistency um, that, that, just, that just did it for me. And so even if you don't even do aligners, just getting into 3D printers just for that alone, um, I think would, would make it worth it. Well, I, I, I'm sorry, I just disagree. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we do the same thing. That's a fair is it fun? Because <laughs> I did it. I like I had one like four years ago. Well, I mean that's I'm sure that's true. I was doing it wrong. Can apply to so many things. Oh, I know it's changed. And you can use it for so many things. Well, maybe you'll do models, in-house aligners. Yeah. You can print indirect bond trays. You can print splints. You can, you can print, print chess pieces. You can print. You can yeah, print jewelry pieces. You can print brackets. I know it's amazing. You can print. We print uh, temporary uh, crowns. No, Semi-permanent crowns. We printed masks during the COVID yeah. shutdown. See, like printed you know, mass production masks. Yeah. Wait, what are you, you printing your crowns for? What do you do? What do you do? People that have peg laterals. Oh, that's pretty cool. So you can print them. We print them. We'll scan them. Print them. Put it on. Then I'll rescan for like their aligners. Well, I feel like I wish setup. Lisa were my orthodontist. <laughs> <laughs> if any of my patients are watching out there, she's in like what Ohio or something. Yeah, yeah. You're not gonna want to go see her. Um, okay, so let's let's. We got two questions left. This has been fun, huh? I'm enjoying it. Yeah, this is good. I like this. We this this feels good. Day. We could do this all day. Yeah. Well, we only have eight minutes, but we could do it all day. All right, so let's end with this. Um, I want to ask uh, Lisa and Shane a little bit about 3M Clarity aligners. Um, I'm sure we have practices out there that use all different types of plastic. I did a, an aligner podcast when I have 3M, Invisalign, and uh, ULab. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to do another one in the fall. Spoiler alert. <laughs> like anyone's keeping up oh, the fall. Um, and I'll probably have on uh, maybe some sort of an in-house solution uh, with Archform. A lot of people are using that. Probably have on uh, Spark. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe another one. We'll see. Um, but you guys use 3M Clarity aligners. Uh, I think it's helpful to understand what all's out there. So if you don't use 3M Clarity aligners, yeah, maybe you'll learn something. Uh, so tell me your, about your experience with that, about having different options, which I think is awesome, just flat out, like whether it's in-house or it's you know, spar or whatever. It's great to have other options. I think sure. that's good for us. But what's yeah. your experience been like with those? Well, you know, the thing is, I, you know, we like in our in-house system, but it's not for everybody. You know, not everyone's going to want to print. Um, so you hmm. need op outsource options, and for bigger cases, we'll outsource. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's coming new on the horizon is you'll have material choices within within your Clarity aligners, where yeah. there's a, a flexible material and then a forced material. Yep. And we found it, we were doing some of the initial testing on it, that particularly in your crowded cases, you know, that the hard part is getting that first initial aligner to fit. You know, maybe you have to block out a lot if you're always using one material. So, you know, for us, the ability with crowded cases, you start with a flexible material and then change to a material that's stiffer um, is, is, is helpful. And, and so there's a lot of options that are going to be existing for, for aligner design, which is, is really seriously cool. So I think that is like one of the, like, 
most crazy things. We've had aligners for 20 years, uh -huh. and certainly in Invisalign, the only aligner system we had for a long time, uh, it had more rigid plastic mm -hmm. made from a single sheet, and then now they have like a three-layer plastic, mm -hmm. which is more flexible. But that's it, you know? So like, you know, that flexible plastic is great for initial loading and you can get it in and out and it's mm -hmm. great. But then you get to some more difficult movements and it, it seems like in my hands it struggles with certain mm -hmm. more difficult movements. So to have like variety of choice with the types of plastic is like so obvious. Um, and other people have figured this out. There's other systems that offer in -house that. in-house does that too. And in-house, yeah, obviously, <laughs> you've got like 20 different types of plastic. You can choose whatever you want at any moment. But can you imagine if we were doing braces and you had one wire? Like it's kind of like mm -hmm. ridiculous. Yeah, so. no, in my mindset on the, the two, like 3M's coming out with the, with the two, two, yeah. two tray system, uh, force and flex, I'm of the mindset that's more in line with kind of old school mechanics, segmental mechanics, where you would start with a heavy arch like wire intrusion arch. Yeah. Because if you think about it, in your deep bike cases especially, <laughs> when you start to align your lower incisors too soon, you hit premature anterior contact. And then you get a posterior open bite, and you have these problems. So you need to start with intrusion truly first before you start to align so you don't have these premature anterior contacts. And that, that's suited well with like a heavy force type material. And then once you clear that, then you come in with something that's lighter and get those alignment issues all taken care of. That's really nice. So the flexibility, depending on your philosophy, everybody's philosophies will be different. You may be a force to flex type philosophy, mm -hmm. maybe a flex to force type philosophy, but the beauty is the ability to choose and to have that ability to change it when you want to and, and on case by case basis. Um, so when you do in-house, are you doing like a more flexible plastic first or a more rigid plastic first? Yeah, so I usually start more flexible. Um, so I'm doing flex. I am trying out glacier uh, material now um, because it's a little mix between uh, flexible and kind of sturdy. So I usually always start out because it's a comfort thing. If you get it in and it doesn't fit, it's not comfortable. Patients are not going to wear it. That's what I was uh, worried about with <laughs> Shane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shane doesn't care about that because he's yeah. like... So they'll get over it, tell <laughs> it out. Achieving the best. They listen to Shane. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start that way and then Clinical usually excellence. the refinements... <laughs> The refinements, I'll use a stiffer material because mm -hmm. the movements are not as big or, mm -hmm. or great. And so that stiffer material will finish it off and it'll still fit. To me, I, so. think, it, I think in terms of wire sequence and in that mm -hmm. way that you start yeah. with it like a light wire. Yeah. But and I, I, and I want to change the mindset of the wire sequence thing. I think we do that because NITAC goes into crowded teeth easily. Yeah. But if you have the ability to just so intrude plastic. to begin with, plastic does too. That's why I like the heavy one. First. So you're focused on intruding, but they've got this jacked tooth, and they're like, when are you going to deal with this? Ah, uh, tray seven. They'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> tray seven, that's not, you know. Do you want to bite on your back teeth or not? Do you want to bite on your back teeth, or do you not want to bite on your back teeth? You tell me. You want to hit in the front only? I don't know. People only can't I'm, I'm going to ask the director for ten more minutes with this crew. All right, we actually we have a question. Oh, Thankfully, Cameron yeah. Walker, great guy. Uh, can you scan, print, and seat clear retainers in one visit? How long does it take? So the answer is yes, that's what we do. Um, it can be, I mean, it depends on the setup you have. Um, I use an Envision Tech Vita and an Envision One as my printers, and it usually takes about 20 minutes to print the, the model. Um, but to try to turn that around right away is mm. a bit much. So what we do is we take the braces off in the morning, take the scan, uh, do all the final pictures, x-rays, and then over lunch, uh, we make the retainer. They come back for a quick pop-in 10-minute appointment. I know a lot of people will see people next week, and I'm just not that ballsy. Uh, so I don't know if we can say that. Um, but <laughs> It's PG. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I, I'm too scared. Like we, we, we spend all this time to get this great finish, and just to fumble it away at the end is just too risky for me. So I like to give it the same day. So that's a, a tricky question, so to speak, because you can have it done in 30 minutes. Right. Um, but I, it's not worth the, the hassle. We just do everything, make it over lunch have a quick uh, seat in that. Well, even with the glory that is Alginet, you know, they have to come back later in the day. Yeah. You know, sure. as I'd great as it for is. For me, the minimum time is an hour. So yeah. it's not one visit. It would be like, go sit in your car for an hour and wait or go somewhere yeah. and come back. It's not super efficient. Yeah, no. Or we scan before we take the brackets off. Right. We digitally yeah. remove them. Yeah. What software do you use for that? There's a couple different ways you can do it. You can use uh, 3Shape or you can yeah. even use MessMixer. Any, any program that will let you take off an artifact. Sure. Okay. There's a little bit of an art form to it. It takes a little bit of practice. I'm sure there is, and Lisa's just killing it. Yeah, so. I will never know about it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I will know about it. I don't, I don't live in a cave. I just, you know. Uh, we're doing things pretty well. Come by the practice. I'll no, show I'm you. just saying how you said it. Like, I'm sure it exists. Yeah. Right? I don't know. All right. See, here's the thing. I'm afraid oh. if I like, take people's braces off and don't put a retainer in immediately, they're not going to wear it. Oh, I agree. Like, here's a yeah. trade. I'll trade you those for this. Yeah. yeah. No, I, we, we like to get them to it that same day. Yeah. All right, real quick question. One of the most common questions I get when this topic comes up, when we talk about 
digital systems and aligners and all this kind of stuff is, where do I learn more about it? In fairness, the residency programs are still slow to catch up with this. I did four aligner cases and I was thankful to do four aligner cases in residency, but some of us have done zero. Um, and so what are some of the options? I know Shane, I'm gonna give you another plug. I plugged your beard bomb. Mm -hmm. Now I'm plugging your course. You have a course coming up, tell me more. Ah, didn't know I could talk about it. Yeah, no, so 3M's actually- <laughs> I hope we together. can. It's <laughs> <laughs> not the bag. Whoops! 3M's putting together some <laughs> curriculum on, okay. um, on aligner therapy and different types of cases setups and, the, and going through the treatment mindset, what you're thinking on the treatment planning side, when you're designing that case, how it looks in the end, and, and the state of it all okay. for open bites, deep bites, you know, uh, you know, transverse issues, class twos, all these kinds of things. So we're going through each type of case and laying it out exactly how we would lay it out and why. Yeah, and, and cool. kind of explaining what the rationale is behind the treatment plan. I like it. Uh, yeah, I jo think, Jonathan Moss have their cores. Of course. Uh, any others? I was just thinking. I mean, I dated myself. You said aligners didn't exist when I was in residency. Actually, night oh. high wires just sure. came out. They had oh. them locked because they were too dangerous. Right. And you had to get <laughs> you had you had to get special permission. To they use had them wire. locked. They locked up. It's contraband. Yeah. So, it's like it's an opiate or something so behind sorry, the back counter. I, I love that. Oh my gosh, yeah. am I old? Any but courses? Yeah. yeah. Well, for me, I think I when Invisalign had their first master's course pilot. I don't know what they're calling it now. Yeah. Uh, Barry Glazer, he was a part Ooh. of that, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I did it with him. I looked at all the Invisalign CE because the thing is. Regardless of what you're using, the the principles are the same. Right. Now the mechanics of using their customized and their force, what you know, all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. is going to be different. But you know, things of how to intrude, do this first, make space before you rotate. Those kind of mm -hmm. principles are the same regardless of whatever um, yeah. system you're using. So anything that will provide CE in terms of clear aligners will be beneficial, and then you'll just apply the certain. Uh, things to whatever system you're using to go, but the, the mechanics and the principles are the same. So, what is Barry Glazer's book? Oh, I did read that book. Too. Yeah, that's a great an book. book. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did. Uh, yeah. I forgot. Yeah. I got the, it has the excellent. teeth on it. It's front, in my right? bedside table. Yeah. I'll pull it out later. Because I so. had like yeah. on my digital integration team, we all great. read that book yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great yeah. book. It really simplifies yeah. the great I thought, pictures. Oh, I can but do this. plug it real quick. Yeah. So, so Dr. Mark Causey and myself, we put are kind of working on this together with 3M to try to formulate. It's called the Treatment Design Advanced Advanced Treatment Design Course. Is that what it's called? Work on the name. It, this is a joke. Advanced treatment design course. Listen, the line, the character's gonna be cutting, they're gonna be scrapping it. Cast track. <laughs> I said that wrong. Uh, well, hold on, we gotta go. We're, we're over time. We'll finish this conversation later. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed this. Everyone's like, what is going on over there? He said, ballsy. We're going um, No, we're going well. This was great. Uh, this topic is definitely not my area of expertise, as I proved. Uh, so it's been great to learn more about it from you experts. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Brian. I really, really did enjoy this. Um, our final interview of the night is coming up, hallelujah, with Dr. Stuart Frost. You may have heard of him on the topic of the artist orthodontist. 